Revelation chapter 21, let's begin in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's pray together. Father, we look forward to this day where we have no more sorrow, crying, or pain because we deal with sorrow much in this life. So, Lord, I just pray as we look at these verses, Father, help us to understand your heart for us in all that you're doing at this point in the future. Thank you that we can know it in advance. Thank you for the whole blessing of the book of Revelation, Lord. You say that there is a specific blessing for all those who read it and keep it. Help us, Lord, to be keepers of your word and valuing your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what he wants to apply to each one of our lives. Help us to not just hear these words, Lord. Help us to be obedient to your word, thus bringing glory to yourself. We commit it to you. We pray that you would set this time aside, too, as, as you would see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, we have been steadily making our way through history that hasn't even occurred yet. As we've been looking on all these things in the book of Revelation, we've gone through the Great Tribulation, we've gone through the Millennium. And then last week, um, we saw Satan be loosed for a short time because there are those that, uh, their offspring of the 25% of this world's population that make it through the seven-year tribulation who have children that are unbelievers who don't believe and they want to rebel and so forth. And that's why we were told that Satan must be released because their father, the devil, wants to deceive them and to lead them and if they're choosing him then they might as well have all of what he has to offer so it was honoring their free will basically giving them every opportunity to choose christ in that millennium and so they had to be released to solidify their rebellion to god and so we saw that and then we saw satan uh 
lose that kind of rebellion that he led as he deceived them and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And then Satan, as we saw, was cast into the lake of fire. And then we saw something that was so tremendously sobering, seeing that great white throne judgment, that white throne representing purity and holiness and and that Jesus really will follow through with what he said and God will really follow through with what he said he's going to do, that he will judge the unsaved. It says that they opened, that books were opened. So that could have been the, you know, the book of idle words, the book, the law of Moses, the book that went through our, every detail of our lives while we lived it on this earth. We don't know what those books um, really made up or constitute those books, but we know that they were judged by the, the, what was written in them. So they were held accountable to those works. And then we saw the book of life opened. And anyone's name who is not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that was such a sobering thing. And if anyone didn't, wasn't here for that, I really encourage you to go on our website and to download that because God really communicated his heart to us, his heart for the lost. He doesn't enjoy any time that he has to judge anybody. Uh, but specifically at the end where he's, well, only the unsaved are at their great white throne judgment. Believers have already went to the judgment seat of Christ and so forth. And so here he's not enjoying this. The last person that in, you know enjoys that judgment day is God himself, sending people away knowing that they, it was completely avoidable, more avoidable than death and taxes and you know, uh, catching a cold even. And, and, but yet they refuse to repent and they refuse to accept his free gift of eternal life. And so that spoke of our responsibility and we can't hoard salvation to ourselves. We have to be willing, as we've been talking about outreach, we have to be willing to go out and to preach the gospel and to be um, salt and light in this world. We have to keep praying for those that are unsaved on our prayer lists. Some of us don't even have prayer lists. We need to make prayer lists. We need to be consistent praying for those people that don't know the Lord because he's called us to reach them. And all the responsibility does not lay on our shoulders for their salvation, obviously. It's between them and the Lord, but it's our part to deliver the message and our part to pray and so forth. So very, very sobering. I really would like everyone here, if you didn't hear last week, to download that and to listen to it because God really did communicate his heart Now, today we start in verse 1 where it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So now John is seeing something new now. He is seeing a new heaven and a new earth. Both Isaiah chapter 65 and 66 speak of this new heaven and a new earth. This isn't new. This isn't just new to the New Testament. God's always revealed that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, Psalm 102, if you read that towards the end of that psalm, um, we're told that, um, it, that the earth is wearing out like a garment and like a cloak, God will change them or change the heavens and, and the earth. So it's wearing out. Even 
you know, entropy. He's describing, you know, that everything's running down and so forth. It's wearing out like a garment. And he's going to, like he would take off a cloak and put on enough something new, he's going to put on a brand new earth or put in existence a brand new earth and a brand new heaven. Jesus spoke of it in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His word, that's why we venerate and look up to God's word so much. He said it, 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 it will outlive the heavens and the earth. That his words will never pass away, but heaven and earth will. Then we were told in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, when Jesus told his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the key word to those verses is the word regeneration. And regeneration is something that is, when you bring something to life, it's, it's regenerated. Or if it's made new, it's regenerated. When he's speaking of the regeneration, he's talking the singular, the generation. He's talking about when he makes all things new, when he uh, creates a new heaven and a new earth. So we've already seen the heaven and the earth go away. Remember in chapter 20, last, the last chapter in verse 11, we were told this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is right before the great white throne judgment. So as he get, readies himself and basically assumes the posture of a judge over the unsaved, once he starts that posture, that's when everything is dissolved. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that everything will be dissolved and it will be loosed. We're told that God holds everything together by the word of his power. So Jesus is holding it together. He's going to let it go. And all the atomic structure will fall apart and everything will melt and so forth. All of that's going to happen right before the great white throne judgment. And so regeneration has to happen. So he has to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to take away the old one. Now, it says there also will be no more sea. Now, does that mean that God doesn't like surfers, you know, or, or deep sea fishers, fishermen? Sorry, I'm going to say the technical term. Uh, but, or anything else that people do for fun on the ocean or sea. No, he doesn't hate those people, obviously. But the, the topography um, is going to be different there. So they're, they're not going to be, it's not that there's not any water or anything like that, but you know, the sea represented something scary and unstable and, and kind of mysterious. And, um, I won't go so far as to say spooky. Okay. That's crossing the line, but you know, just mysterious, you know, the, back then the sea was, was this place of danger and, you know, and so from the Jewish mind, you know, it's, it was something that that wouldn't be a, a thing that would cause them to start grieving, you know, unlike the people in Orange County or, Hawaii or the people they read that but whatever it is you're going to be fine with it whatever he does in place of that you're going to be totally fine maybe you'll be able to surf on in another way or or air surfing so you won't even have to be on anything you won't even have to be on a surfboard maybe you could just be whoa you know just flying through the air you know you don't know I mean whatever remember God's character is that he wants what's best for us so you can trust him you surfers out there on that Verse 2, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we're told this is called New Jerusalem. I remember hearing J. Vernon McGee. Ever heard him on the radio? The Bible bus. You know, some people don't even know that he's been dead for 30 years or something like that because he's still going on the radio, you know. And I remember him saying, you know, the New Jerusalem, you know, and I remember going, what is that? What is that? When I was a new Christian, you know, uh, what is the New Jerusalem? You know, it's right here in the Word of God, you know, and, and I'm like, what is the New Jerusalem as a new Christian? And I started trying to find it in the Gospels. I'm like, okay, I'm seeing Jerusalem, but where's the new one? You know, I want to see the new one that he was talking about. So that's what he's talking about, the New, new Jerusalem. And I, I love the fact how God, and John's just trying to describe this. Put yourself in John's position. He doesn't know what any of this stuff is. He's just like, what is that? And, and, and so he's trying to describe it, it, its beauty and so forth. And the best standard of comparison for John is to, is to speak of, of how a bride is prepared for her husband. Now, it's very important that we don't, you know, try to believe that he's saying that the city is the bride. We're the bride. In fact, we're the wife by this point of the Lord Jesus. But he's saying it's being prepared as much as a bride would prepare herself for her husband. Think of brides and how they prepare. And especially do that comparing that to how much grooms prepare. <laughs> Talk about a contrast. How do I get that bow tie right? I don't know. Here, do it for me. You know, and like, okay, that's right, great. You know, and you do your hair and you shave and everything, but, you know, that's pretty much it. And then you're figuring out, you know, you know, how am I going to not faint up there if I get nervous and all this stuff? But the bride is like, we're talking months and years of preparation for this. <laughs> you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. What groom is complaining when they're up there? When they're up there in front and they're waiting for that bride to come down, they're not, oh, months and years. I wish you wouldn't have done that. And you're going, I'm thankful for the finished product. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that that bride has been prepared the way that that bride has been prepared. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, but we're talking the hair right and the makeup and, you know, mom, does, does my curls, you know, curly cube, the right, you know, descending angle and, you know, how is... Are my eyelashes touching my chin, you know, or are they long enough or, you know, I mean, all the things that they go through in the dress. And I mean, I can't even explain it right. That's how complicated it is for me to understand. But I mean, the whole point is I'm going to look the best I can possibly look for my future husband and for everyone else watching to know that he gets me. He gets, I meant me, you know, me, you know, the whole thing. You know, and so I'm, and, and so I'm going to go through all of this to get everything prepared the right way. And it's important for us to see, especially in the Jewish culture, that the bride was a picture of purity, purity and beauty, and and that's the closest thing that John can describe this city uh, and compare it to, because that's the most beautiful thing he's seen, or or at least going through the process of preparation. And it's not merely a, to just, this preparation is not merely to make it functional, functional alone. Brides don't prepare to just be functional. You know, they, they want to be adorned. They want to be beautiful. They want, that, they want to knock that groom off his feet. Sometimes that happens when they pass out, <clears throat> trying to not lock their knees. I remember not trying to lock my knees as a groomsman in someone else's wedding. 
You know, he's like, so nervous up there. Um, so that's just God's heart being extended to us. He didn't have to reveal this in the way that he's revealed it to us. He wants us to know how much he's, how much trouble is, is, is as much as God can go through trouble being all powerful, but how much effort he's going through to make it the biggest blessing for us. He's trying to show that. He is going to prepare. You know, have you ever, with your spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you ever leave little notes ahead of time before you give them this big gift and you're kind of building anticipation, but you're also doing it to show how much effort you're, you're, you've gone through or you're going through for this big gift and so forth and how much you love them and all of that. That's what part of this is. This is how, him telling us ahead of time, hey, I love you a lot. And I'm, I'm going through so much effort to prepare and adorn this city for you. You have no idea what I'm doing for you. But I want to tell you ahead of time so you can be, a, a, you know, and be anticipating and be looking forward to it. And to know that I, I'm doing it because I love you and I want to be with you. That's what he's going to say later on. He want to dwell with you. So that's, that's something that's supposed to hit our hearts. God wants us to know how much he loves us and how much he wants... Uh, us to anticipate where what's coming for us and then we're told in verse three and i heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people god himself will be with them and be their god so he says behold we don't say that now but it means carefully consider, pay attention. So he's saying, pay attention to this. Look at this. This loud voice from heaven. Look at this tabernacle of God. Now is with men. He's with men. You know, in John chapter 1, we're told in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, and he... And he um, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt there it means to tabernacle. So you can say that he tabernacled among us. He made his home among us. And that's what, he's, that's what he's saying there. He's saying the tabernacle of God or the dwelling of God is with men and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. Now we're already his people. But he's saying we will be his people in the sense of he will be physically in our presence and and we will be his people in that context god himself will be with them and be their god now he would never have revealed this if it wasn't important to him for us to see that all of this is very important to him that's why he's revealing it so we can see how important it is to him that he is close to us he wants to get as close to us as he possibly can and he lives inside of us right now he wants nothing in between the Old Testament with the priests and going through the priests and the, you know, in the tabernacle and the temple, you know, the big curtain that was in between the holy place and the most holy place. Only the high priest could go into the most holy place. He could only do it once a year and he could only do it after he had sacrifices made for his own sin. And then when Jesus died on that cross and there's the earthquake and the darkness and all of that, that temple uh, veil and we think of a veil like a little veil where you can see through it. We're, we're talking feet thick. I think three feet thick. Two or three feet thick that veil was. And it was about 30 feet high. Think about that veil. And it was ripped in two from top to bottom to show that God was making a way 
of access. That's the word that's painted across that passage is access. No more going through a priest. No more going through a religious system. No more going through any other means except right to God directly. And when any leader starts to become a mediator between God and man, God is grieved and he can't stand it because he did so much in dying to provide access so that there is no go-betweens. We go directly to God. Every healthy under-shepherd is going to point you directly to Jesus Christ and not himself to go through him to them, to, to God and so forth. So this access is very, very important to him that we can go right to him at any time and we will dwell with him. You know, you want to be with your kids, don't you? Don't you love it if, you, if when you're around your children, especially if you have a lot of children, you have them around you and you want them as close. And when, you have, when you're holding all of them closely to you, you're the happiest. Well, where do you, we think we get that love? We get that love from God. He wants to hold us. Do you know that Lord, the Lord Jesus is going to hold us? He's going to hold you. You're not just going to see him from a distance and, you know, and like, you know, wave back and like, fist bump you know i mean he's our savior he's our lord you know he, he wants to he wants to embrace us you want, don't you want to embrace your children you don't want to let them go just think of the ministry of just holding people he could have who's not going to want to hold jesus or be held by jesus he wants to be close to us he wants to dwell with us he loves us are you seeing his love coming through these verses he's saying i'm going to dwell with you i'm making a city for you and I'm going through as much effort as any bride ever did to make it the, most big, the biggest blessing it can be to you. And I can't wait to be able to be among you and live among you and be your God and be close to you. That's an expression of love to us. And we need to receive it. He wants us to receive that. Maybe you're here and you think that God is just tolerating you. He's putting up with you because he has to love you because he has to love everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like... <laughs> So he's tolerating me and, you know, no, he's in love with you. He is in love with you. He loved you enough to die for your sins. And at that point, he knew all the ways you were going to fall short ahead of time. When we sin, it's not like he's going, oh, my gosh, did you see what they just did just now? I can't believe he knows that he died for those sins. He knew that before eternity in eternity past, he knew that you would fail and I would fail that way. And he still loves us. He's not tolerating you. You can't get him to, any, to love you any more than he already does. And I say that occasionally, pretty regularly, but I want to say it again. I don't think we can say it enough because we sin all the time. We fall short of that perfect standard all the time. And we think he's dealing with us on the basis of our performance and our works and our sin and so forth. And he's not. He's dealing with, on the, dealing with us on the basis of, our, of his grace and that he is love. He doesn't love you because you are lovable or not lovable. He loves you because he is love. It's all based in him. So you can't be in heaven someday going, you love me because I'm so great. You love me because I'm so great. Would you love to be in heaven when everyone's boasting about you know, how lovable they were? But I listened to all those Christian songs that said I'm so lovable and, the, and Christ had to die for me because I'm so lovable. Yeah, but that's not necessarily biblical. He loves you because he is love. I'm not saying you're not lovable. I'm just saying that the basis of his love is in who he is, not in who you are, per se. And it's good for us to understand that. So maybe that's for someone today, that he's not tolerating you. He's, he loves you. Even with all your flaws, he loves you. 
He's locked on to you, just like any loving father would be locked on to you and loves you unconditionally. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know, as a, I've read this verse to people many times and as a pastor to, in different circumstances to encourage them to, to look to heaven because they're overwhelmed with sorrow at the moment. Hard for them to put two thoughts together because they're overwhelmed with grief. And I've been there. I lost my dad when I was four in a car accident. I lost my mom when I was 17 to a heart attack. I've been on my own since I was 17. I know all about that. But I also know God's grace and his love and his encouragement and his compensating power to help us when we're suffering. But sometimes we're in the middle of suffering and, you know, we're questioning a lot of things and that's normal. And, and a lot of times we need to just stop and think about, yes, I'm going through a lot of suffering right now. But you know what? God didn't spare his son from going through that suffering. He didn't make us an exception for him. Yeah, you guys have to go through this fallen world and suffer, but I'm going to keep my son from that. When he comes to this world, he didn't keep his son from any of it. His son was not exempt. He went through all of that suffering and all that pain, way more than we could ever suffer. So he knows what it's like. He's our faithful high priest who can empathize with our weaknesses because he's gone through everything that we go through and far greater. So he loves us. But in this verse, because the the question that we can ask, doesn't God care? Maybe you're here today. You're thinking, doesn't God care? Why is he allowing this to happen? He does care. This shows right here that he cares. And he's going to take care of that one day. Because it says he's going to wipe away every tear. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't make this into kind of a poetic thing or symbolic thing. I don't, I mean, I really believe that God very well could physically wipe away every tear. He, he, he's all powerful. He has all the time in the world, in eternity, to physically wipe away our tear. Obviously, we're going to have tear ducts. But maybe they're going to be inoperable after he wipes away every tear and he makes it to where. And part of that, I believe, will likely be, no one can know, but likely be remove the memory of those that we realize are not in heaven with us. I don't know how we could enjoy heaven knowing that they're not there and they're in the lake of fire. A lot of people believe that it could very well be. I don't know. But, it, you know, we suffer in this world and we cry and we have heartache and all those things, and he cares and sees every bit of it. He doesn't miss one tear. He loves you, and he loves what he loves what he's accomplishing in this world, in your life, in, in, in how he's working all these things out for good. He doesn't. He is allowing certain things, but remember that, that other people are doing it. The the enemy's doing it. Fallen man's doing it. But he cares about those things, and he's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. Remember, I said the biblical definition of death is separation. So there'll be no more physical separation, in that sense. There'll be no more sorrow or crying. There'll be no more pain. So our bodies will not have the capacity to have pain. So that's nice. <laughs> I'm 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 glad. I I you know when you, I don't want to be working on my mansion. And, you know, I know I'll be perfect and I won't have, you know, but knowing me, I'll, if we're using hammers and nails, I'll hit my thumb or something, you know, there's, there's no more pain for the former things have passed away. No more losing a child at birth. 
No more rapes. No more saying mean things to people. No more murders. No more thefts. No more injustice. No more sex trafficking. No more prostitution. No more... um, I mean, you just go through all these things. All of that will be gone. And some people have even said, won't it be boring then? That's just insanity. No, it's not going to be boring because sin's not there. There's plenty of things to do besides sinning, you know. So at the person that asked that question, they realized in mid-sentence kind of where that was going and kind of stopped. But, you know, okay. So he's going to get rid of all of that. And you know what? He's gonna, I think he's going to enjoy this way more than we ever could. He's going to enjoy wiping away those tears. That's one of the most loving things you could ever do and tender things you could ever do to another person. And you only are allowed to do that to a person who you love and who loves you and trusts you. And it's, you're, they're very vulnerable in that moment. And they let you do that. It's one of the most tender things that another person can do. And he's going to do it for us. He's not going dis- to delegate that out. He's going to do it. Not have an angel do it. He himself is going to wipe away our tears. And he's going to love every bit of that, ending all of the suffering. Verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. I thought John was already had been told to write. What's he doing? What is this? He's not writing anymore. He's like, can you? He's like awestruck, and God has to tell him, "Hey, you need to be writing this down. Write. Oh yeah, I need to write. I need to write these things down. You know, I was told to write these things down. But it's so amazing. It's it's so distracting and so forth. So he said, told him, behold, that means carefully consider. As I said, I make all things new. Now this new, there's different definitions for new in Greek. One is new, like brand new, like nothing, it never, anything like it ever existed, and it's, it's new, you know, it's not, but we're talking about something that is not completely unlike other things, okay, because we're going to look at this city, Lord, next week, Lord willing, and we're going to see that it has dimensions to it. It has length. It has breadth. There's, no, there's north and south and east and west. There's, there are gates there. There's foundations, there's walls, there's, there's, there's familiar things. We're going to see the, the, the tree of life eventually in chapter 22. So it's, there's dimension. It's not completely unlike anything we've ever experienced before, but that doesn't mean that this is a rehab. <laughs> you know, this isn't like a home and garden show where we're rehabbing something, a fixer-upper. He's not, he's, it, it is new in the sense that there's a new creation but it's not like it's completely unlike anything we've ever experienced before. We're going to see that. But he says, carefully consider this, John. I'm making everything new. Everything new. None of this old way of doing things, this old government, this old way of relating to me and in terms of only by faith and so forth. It's going to be, you're going to be in my presence. I'm going to live among you. All these things are brand new. I want you to write them down. Pay attention and start writing, for these words are faithful and true. And those faithful and true, or true and faithful, mean faithful and dependable. That's what it means there. So you can trust it. Because we look at this and go, you know what, this kind of seems a little bit over the top. You know, is this really what's going to happen? Is he really going to do all these things? Yes, 
He says, trust my word. My word will outlive these heavens and the earth, like I said. And I will do what I'm saying I'm going to do. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the beginning of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the end of the Greek alphabet. And that's why he says the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning. He is the end and everything in between. He's everything. He's all, he's transcendent of time and space. He is everything. And he says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now we have tracked as we've gone through the revelation verse by verse, we have tracked all the times that God has reached out to mankind in trying to reach the lost through the whole seven-year tribulation and beyond, right? Remember that? All the times that he reached out and they would not repent and they would not repent and they would not repent and he sends two witnesses. He sends 144,000 male virgin Jews that get saved out to evangelize the world. He sends the, the angels out to preach the gospel. He's trying to reach this, this, this uh, sinful world and he's still doing it here. There's not going to be anyone, there's not going to be any sinners there to be saved at this point. He's talking now in terms of anyone who's reading this book before these events have happened. He's saying, it's done already. And it's going to happen. I will let anybody who, who wants to drink freely of this, of this water. I mean, God so often refers to spiritual thirst with water because we relate to it so much. And we have this, this thirst for to know God and to have purpose in life and all of that. And he says, I will give anyone that wants to drink of this water and I'll, and I'll allow them to drink. Notice he says that towards the end of verse 6, freely. Again, he's emphasizing that there's no way that you can earn right standing with me. There's no way that you can earn salvation. If you're thirsty, you just have to drink. You don't have to pay for the water. You don't have to pay for the spiritual water and so he's encouraging anyone who reads this he's still throwing out the nets he's still trying to evangelize there and then he says in verse 7 he who overcomes shall inherit all things i will be his god and he shall be my son he's talked about overcoming a lot in the book of revelation we've seen that and it's sometimes we feel like well i'm not really much of an overcomer i don't know if I'm going, to be, I'm going to qualify. Anyone who's a believer that keeps their faith in Christ is considered an overcomer. And that's who he calls us. He calls us overcomers. And he, notice he says, we will inherit a few things. No? Are you paying attention? Okay, he says all things there. Just making sure you're awake. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Not going to hold anything back. Not only is he going to live with us and he loves that idea just the idea of living with us he loves and he's prepared a city for us and he and he's gone through all that effort and adorned it like any bride would adorn herself for her husband future husband he not only that he's going to give us all things he's going to freely give us all nothing he's not going to hold anything back people fight over inheritances all the time that happened in my family Brothers and sisters, my older brothers and sisters, when my mom passed away, there's a full-on war going on for inheritance. And it's sad. People fight over it. 
But this inheritance is ours. We won't have to fight over it or fight for it. It's freely given to us, and we're going to just enjoy it. Those of us that are overcomers, that have our faith in Christ. And notice he says again at the end of verse 7, I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's important to God. He isn't just putting it in there for filler. He wants us to know that he's excited, that he gets to be our God, and we get to be his sons and daughters. Again, that intimacy, that closeness, he values it. He wants nothing in between us and him. And he he can't wait for it to happen. Then notice who's not there in verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So I said death means separation. Again, I went over second death already too. That when, you're, that when you're separated from God for all eternity, that's the second time that happens. The first time is when you die, you're separated from your body. The second death is when you're separated from God for all eternity in the lake of fire. There, that's the second death. So if you are born once only and you don't have that spiritual birth, you don't have that second birth, you're going to die twice. You're going to die once physically and die a second time spiritually. But if you're born twice, you're born physically, and you have, then you have the spiritual birth, you only die once in this life, die physically, and, and except those of us that may hit, reach the rapture, won't even die even the first time. And so he, he is, is reassuring us that the people that didn't, didn't know him, that their names were not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're not there. So he says the cowardly or the unbelieving. The abominable may, reminds me of the snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Rain. The abominable snowman. What is abominable? It means somebody that is engaged in the deeds of abominations. Their life represents abominable or things related to uh, abomination. And they're, they're just wicked and so forth. So he says, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. That's how much he hates lying. God hates liars. Now, it's not, he's not just saying that only, they only do these things and he's cherry picking and saying those people and then all the other people they didn't mention or not that didn't receive Christ, they're not going. He's saying that these are just characteristics of people that don't know Christ. And so he's saying those people will not be there. And he's, he's, why is he saying that? He's giving the invitation, right? He's saying, if anyone who thirsts, I will freely give. And he's saying that it's more than just a thirst, though. You may sense a spiritual thirst, but there's also accountability with your sin. Maybe because some people don't recognize or admit to themselves that they have that thirst, but they do know that they're these things. So he's saying, you know, your thirst and your need is far greater than what, may you, uh, than what you may realize. If your life looks like this, and if we claim to be a Christian and our lives look like this and we live this way and this is a lifestyle, we have no security of our salvation at all. Because when God comes in and changes a life, he changes a life. And there's a difference between struggle and a lifestyle with absolutely no repentance at all, no struggle whatsoever, and that it doesn't even phase us when we live like this. That's a whole other kind of life. He doesn't want to give anyone... Uh, any kind of false security that they're on their way to heaven if their life, the banner that's written over their life are any of these things. So it's important for us to see that. So I just want to just give a few encouragements as we close here. God loves us. 
God wants to be with us. He wants to live among us. He wants to prepare a city. We're going to see it next week, Lord willing. It's going to blow our minds, blow our minds, what he's going to prepare for us. Because remember, the Lord Jesus said, if I go away, I will prepare a place for you where he is that there we will be also. And man, there's a lot wrapped up in that word prepare. We'll see that next week. Talk about preparation. Talk about uh, adornment. Talk about, you know, prepared for us like a bride. When we see this city and look at how amazing it is, wow, we're going to be amazed on how much he loves us. So he's preparing a place for us, but also he wants us to know that he's looking forward to living with us and being among us physically. He can't get enough of us, which makes us wonder how much is he wanting to spend time with us right now? Alone time with him right now. He wants that alone time. He's waiting there for us. And with all the busyness and all the things that we can allow to, to crowd our lives and our schedules and so forth, he says, that's, that's why I saved you, to walk with me, to walk closely with me, to be alone with me, to have me be able to speak to your heart about your life and rearrange your priorities and rearrange your, what, you're, what you're in the middle of and give you perspective on your life. Do you realize how valuable it is to be able to get alone with God and get alone, like Jesus said, in the secret place? And he speaks to us and so forth and have him manifest himself to us and then give us fresh perspective, heavenly, godly, spirit-filled perspective on everything that we're going through right now. And we're wondering, you know, why am I so confused? How come I can't get this? How come I can't navigate this situation? All of that. He's saying, if you would just spend some time with me, I would reveal to you exactly what you should do and give you more strength to deal with it. So that's important for us. We have to set that time aside. Do you remember the times when the Lord Jesus was so busy and he still got time away with the Father? And he sacrificed sleep many times. That's why he fell asleep in that boat when the storm was going. I always wondered, how could he fall asleep? I mean, how of a solid sleeper was he? They're thinking they're going to die and they're professional fishermen and he's in the bottom of the boat sleeping? I mean, man, it's because he worked hard. He worked hard serving and he stayed up and he prayed and he put the most important things first in, in, and he knew that all those things came from the father. And one time they came to him, everybody's looking for you, everybody, you know, and, and he said, I must do these things. I must go to these people, not what everyone else expects me to, to do. And it doesn't fit everyone else's template for me, but I've been praying all night. And by the way, I prayed all night before I chose you, Peter. <laughs> To show everyone else that it wasn't by accident that I chose you. That God really does choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So let me encourage you today. Get alone with God. Don't get tripped up on the time. Just get alone with him and open up your heart to him. And build it into your life as a habit. And he will increase it and increase it. And you'll see. And pretty soon it'll be to where you can't go without it. That's when true Christianity manifests itself. That's when his supernatural power comes in and he starts speaking through. He starts using your spiritual gifts. That's where he starts giving you revelation. He starts laying his heart upon your heart and leaning on you in your heart. And you know what he would say in a situation. He is speaking through you in that moment. That comes by having alone time. Some people say to me, you know, Pastor, um, I don't really hear God's voice. And they've been married for a long time. And I say, do you know your spouse's voice? If you turn off all the lights, could you pick out that voice from a thousand voices? Yep. How come? Well, because I've spent 30, 
I've spent a long time, 30 years with them. Yeah, you spend a long time with God, alone time, you start recognizing that voice. It's no different. So I know the Spirit's speaking to us. Let's obey what he says. And he can't wait to wipe away every tear. He can't wait for that day. Don't be stumbled by evil in this world. He hates it. He has to allow it for a season. He has to allow it because of free choice. But there will come a day when he's going to say, enough is enough. I make all things new. And he's going to probably wipe away our tears with his finger and then remove all of that whole way of living from us forever. And I can't wait. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word so much here. Thank you so much, Lord. We can't exhaust it. And thank you, Lord, that we get to go through it verse by verse, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to, I know you've spoken to us, help us to process all that you've revealed to us today. And thank you that we get to enjoy our family here and learn together. And I pray, Father, that you would bear fruit through your word in our hearts by your spirit, by your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.